Hello, Sophie. Hey, Nora. It's our last episode of Mad Women. Oh, and it's a really good one. For the one. season. Yes. For the season, but ending with a ba- ending with a bang. Um, this is a really good episode. I got to do my little summary here, but yes. of Don finally experiencing consequences on all fronts mm-hmm. with his brother, with his wife, with his lover, uh, and sorry to use that word, and with his children. So it's just a very good episode with a good final song uh, song drop. I'm just really excited to talk about all of the really sad shit that happens. It's a oh sad episode. I, throughout the whole episode, was saying oh a lot in with different intonations. So I was like either oh or oh. Uh, okay, each scene I have to ask you what, what the intonation is. <laughs> Not every scene, but... You'll know. You will scenes. definitely know, though. Key scenes. So this is season one, episode 13, if my math is correct because i messed up that up once um it's called the wheel and i have to apologize to the listeners again because i have another cold and this time i actually think that you may be able to hear it or maybe not but just quick disclaimer but you'll still have the energy though so the stuff you know i'm I'm ready we're we're ready to rock on this episode so i'm just gonna jump in and say please uh scene one is pete and his pushy in-laws that it opens on pretty awful pattern that Trudy wants to put in the powder room and not in the the study or something like that. And we pan over to see Pete talking to Tom, which is Trudy's uh, father, who starts off being very fatherly mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I want to treat you like a son because I f- that's how I feel about you. And then goes into being really pushy. You need to have a kid now. Yes. Can I say, though, I think out of everyone in this show that Trudy's parents are the best, despite this, like, pushiness mm-hmm. about having a grandchild. Like, I'm like, okay, that's not great, and that shouldn't be anyone's business, but the couple conceiving the child. But I think they're so fun. I agree that I was on Tom's side, not Pete's side, for most of this this whole scene, where he says, again, I'm going to treat you like a son because that's how I feel about you. That's so nice. I know. I would love to have that said like about me basically. Yeah. And he says, Oh, like Peter, you should like take a little bit of focus off work, which initially is like, Oh, you're like concerned about his well being because Pete was dejected about not becoming head of accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Peter got like mad at Trudy for spoiling that to her parents as if that was like, whatever. He also told, it's funny that he told Trudy and Trudy told her parents that he was up for a promotion. <laughs> kind of some self-edit, some editing there by Pete, but that's fine. Yes. But to go back to this, uh, what Mr. Trudy, Tom said. Uh, oh, we should, should call him Mr. and Mrs. Trudy. I love that. <laughs> well, Mr. Trudy said, you should focus off work, like wink, wink, because you should be focusing on getting me a grandchild. Uh-huh. Um and then Trudy's mom said, right away, first scene, my favorite line in the episode, which is, Ooh. Tom, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> I love when she says that. <laughs> and then uh, Mr. Trudy says, it's like that song says, you know, tend your own garden. And then Trudy says, what song is that? And then she's like, ah, I don't know. But it's true. I tried to look up this song. I did not find this song. So I feel like <laughs> if the listeners know the song let us know some however we end up gathering comments but i feel like mr trudy just made that up for his point but i think in general is all pretty charming 
So in the next scene, we're with the Drapers, and I wrote this note that I was talking to you about earlier. Betty talks squash. Mm-hmm. Like, she's literally Betty. just talking about squash to Don. She's just talking about squash, not even to Don, next to Don, looking at a pad, which was oh. a little bit strange, but I liked it. It had very strong, I am planning something meant mundane energy. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to get my squash for Thanksgiving is the most domestic thing ever. But I kind of loved it. And I was like, I want to try Betty Squash now. I bet it's good. Yes. So they start talking and it becomes known very quickly that Don will not be with Betty's family for Thanksgiving. Um, because, and, and basically they're going to Betty's brother's place. She has a brother, mm-hmm. question mark. He, does he ever come back? I don't really think yeah. so. He comes Maybe back in later seasons. This is the first seasons. time we're hearing about him though. At least they kept that consistent. But basically, it sounded like the brother lives in some kind of farm-like setting because he can't, quote-unquote, like, leave his animals. Um, And Don can't go because of work. Yes, I will correct you a little bit here, though. Okay. It actually made a good point, though. He can't have it drive his kids up because his kids act like animals. Wait, he does he not have animals? No, he doesn't have animals. <laughs> oh my god! The wait, kids I totally. So, <laughs> the kids that. are so badly behaved. You thought they were animals, which was the what they wanted to get across. <laughs> I was so, like, he's, and, yeah, and, he's got to milk his cow and feed the horses. <laughs> I mean, could you? Um, I actually love this spinoff, though. Just to pause, <laughs> if Betty grew up on a farm and then got to be as like hoity-toity as she is i would Ugh. love that honestly as a backstory but well, no <laughs> screw me never mind anyway, <laughs> sorry, i was just like no that's you so down funny there. um i clearly misinterpreted that thank you for correcting me um anyway okay. betty's sad that don will not be there um and it, she, there's not a clear reason why he just says all oh, my business goes out next week like why well, he, would I? he just got this promotion i guess but you're right it's thanksgiving like it doesn't make any sense you have um, the time off like, but also it. don don is it, the weird thing is he's being distant and there's not a woman in the picture as we find out later rachel's gone Right. So, like, Don's just like, I'm just going to be distant to be distant. There's not even a lady I'm fucking. Well, and as we know, in a couple episodes ago, he was like, like, I'm going to go pretend I'm at work, Sally's, who I don't have to greet Jean and Gloria, you know? But mm, Oh, that's right. That's right. Betty tries to guilt trip him, but she's also kind of true where she's like, well, what about Sally and Bobby's childhood memories? <laughs> you know? And mm-hmm. whatever. Those are about to not be so great anyway. Yeah, that's, um, those are already going down the toilet. And then... Betty says, I don't think you want to go. And then the my big Don dupe of this episode was Don getting, like, slightly aggressive. And he was like, I'm sorry. Was I unclear about that? Like, there's a nicer way that you could say you're not going to be at your family's fucking Thanksgiving. At least don't have attitude about it. Just say, I'm sorry I can't this year. Even if it's every year, if you do it, like, why are you being snippy about it? But he just doesn't want to be with his family. That's really clear. Yeah, and so we're starting off strong. We already got through my favorite line and my Don dupe of the episode. Impressive, impressive. I, oh, I, I do have a Don dupe. I do have a Don dupe. Okay, I was panicking. Maybe I just have a bro dupe, but you said I have this a Don episode dupe was too. filled with Don dupes. It was, and I didn't mark any <laughs> down. Uh, so for the listeners, I actually watched this twice. Um, my, I had a very fun time. I actually had my brother visit me, and we watched the finale on Thanksgiving because it was topical. Um, and then Excellent. I just rewatched it, and I think I marked a bunch of Don dupes on something that I ended up throwing away when I came on the plane. So got anyway, it, got it. Well, 
Do you want to take this next micro scene? So this is a Harry dupe. Um, <laughs> so Harry is calling his wife Jennifer, I think, um, because he clearly got ousted from the house and is sleeping in the office after having sex with Hildy. Wait, do you think that yes. he told her about Hildy or that the wife found out about Hildy? Because I was a little bit like, maybe he told her. I He gives me strong, I told my wife vibes. Yeah. Yeah, but we never like know. We never know, but he seems apologetic in this scene where he's talking on the phone. He's weirdly lying and saying he was staying at Ken's apartment, and is not. He's clearly just sleeping in his underwear in the office, which... Does Weird he move. have his own office that yeah. he could sleep in? Also, how where do you shower? I don't understand how this works, but okay, fair enough. Um, I was very upset in this scene because... I think he handles this stupidly where he gets sort of like Don just got last scene, very defensive. He is talking to Jennifer, Jennifer saying, you know, you're complaining and saying Ken's apartment is messy. You're complaining. And then he pauses and says, I miss you, which again, you're making it about you, dude. Like your wife's upset. You're like doing everything wrong. And he's clearly not going to be back in that house for a little while, at least until season two. That is correct. And that is the scene. (laughs) That is pretty much everything. I just, him being like, "Uh, I miss you. And then he gets mad and then he hangs up. Okay. In in the next scene, Bert and Don are chatting and Bert tells Don that Rachel is going to Paris or, you know, the girl from Mankins is going to Paris. And I felt like, I feel like Rachel is doing what Don wanted to do and she's escaping like her situation. I didn't think about it like that. I kind of, well, you don't want to because she obviously has like the right to leave. And Don was literally like, I'm going to leave my wife. I like it as a little fuck you though, which I kind of (laughs) like, but it's Um, also to call back. It's like Don wanted to take Midge to Paris. If you remember that romantic gesture. So this whole thing is like a clusterfuck. Um, Yeah. And some echoes. And I also think that this is the first of many, consequences i've never actually thought about it deeply until this last rewatch um that it's not just that don is getting found out by bert that oh you slept with a client rachel is so heartbroken she's actually leaving the country for three months that's actually more repercussions you're actually hurting people don so he's getting a little like intense like three months (laughs) well i guess she i get it that's that's fabulous Three months is a lot. It's kind of privileged. And also, you you got feelings, and maybe you shouldn't have had feelings and known that this wouldn't have panned. But also, Don, your your actions have consequences. I hope she, like, meets a very nice Frenchman. (laughs) She will. We're going to meet him next season. Oh, right. Dude, I forget everything. For two seconds. For two seconds. His name is Cat something. (laughs) Um, He has some small glasses. My uh, thank you for that insight. You you just have all the knowledge. You've watched this show like much more than me. Um, this is what I do instead of doing new things. <laughs> um, my question for you is, okay, so at this point, uh, they're talking about R- Rachel going to Paris and Bert warns Don about mixing personal life with work. And I'm like, does Bert just know everything? Because he like knows about Joan and Roger and he like knows now about like it heavily implied. Mm -hmm. He knows that there was something going on with like Don and Rachel. Like he's just, he's just watching everyone. By the tone of the dad, the dad who called Bert's 
voice. Like it was just really impressive that he was able to put two and two together. Although I guess Don is not entirely subtle. No, and neither <laughs> is Roger. I'm sure. If remember last, I think it was like episode four, five, six, something like that, where they are flirting Rachel and Don across the table and everyone else clearly knows what's going on. It's yes. like so obvious. So I'm sure that that got up to Bert, but I, he, ISR on, he can see everything. Yep. Well, that's all I had there. Oh, now we're on to a very sad scene between Francine and Betty. Ugh, I always this remember the scene with Mad Men. Very much an O scene. Yes. Yeah, since you were o. asking. So Francine goes to Betty's house and she's completely distraught. And she says, you know, her brain hasn't been as sharp since her baby, I guess. Um, but she's basically like frantic. And then she starts talking to Betty and says that she found out that the phone bill was really high. It was $18. That's for, a lot. Yeah. And she found out that um, like she actually got a hold of the the itemized bill and like why it was so expensive. Mm-hmm. And she figured out that there were long distance calls being made to Manhattan. And she started putting two to two together. And initially it doesn't sound like much. It sounds like she's kind of like implying a lot. And um, she admits that she called the number from the long distance call and just like somebody answered. And she said like a woman answered, I believe. And she said, dinner at the usual place. Like she pretended to be like her husband's secretary basically. And I'm like, wow, what, a what, like what an insane line to like say on the phone. But mm-hmm. that's basically how she finds out that her husband has been having an affair. And then there's this, Oof. it's rough. There's this dialogue. Um, like Betty says, you know, this, this dialogue is really interesting. And Betty's like, lots of women answer the phone. So Betty is like playing benefit of the doubt. Like, no, your husband's not having an affair. Like you're just making this all up. But then we find out that this guy, Brian spends two nights a week at the Waldorf hotel. Uh, Which is disturbing, but also Don regularly comes in late. So I bet Betty's, you know, as we find out a little bit later, it seems like Betty's defending also, Don and the same and her own marriage in the same at the same time because everything that this guy does, uh, Don also does. Yeah. So it's really Betty understanding how naive she's been to. Well, Betty says she be, that takes some time though, because Betty says that Francine is assuming the worst, and Francine is like, I'll poison them all because she just wants to burn the house down. And Betty's Which like, I, I was a little bit like snaps <laughs> to that, even though it was upsetting. Yeah, it was extreme, but, like, you're allowed to feel that way if you're just finding out that your husband had an affair. It's obviously, like, hyperbolic, but also... The worst is that I'll poison him. He's so stupid, he'll drink anything. (laughs) I'm sorry. That made me laugh. I was like, that is definitely... I just found out he was cheating energy. So this line I thought was brilliant, and Francine is like, you know, I came to you because I thought you would know what to do. And initially, I was like, why? And then I was like, oh, because, like... Francine has the same suspicion that Don is doing what her husband Brian is doing. And she thought Betty would tell her how to handle it. So, and so strong of a suspicion that she was sure that Betty knew. And Betty is just like, what are you talking about? You know? And then it's like Betty, like we realize with Betty, like at the same time, almost it's like, we, we know more than Betty, obviously, but it's just like this really like slow unveiling. And it's really sad. Yeah, I think that I agree that that dialogue is really interesting and well done. And I think that 
Francine pivots pretty well because imagine you you find out your husband's cheating on you. You go to your friend, your really good friend. You think that her she knows that her husband's cheating on her. You say, I thought you would be able to help me. And then she goes, wait, what? And gets offended. Ooh. Ugh. So she pivots. She says, says, I don't know. And then Betty goes, okay, we're not going to talk about this anymore in her face. Well, Betty I'm also upset, says, but yeah, he, like he doesn't know, you know, meaning like Francine's husband, Brian doesn't know that Francine knows about the affair. And I was like, I felt like that was almost Betty maybe giving herself advice. And it's just, it's just really rough. And then towards the end of this scene, after Francine leaves, mm-hmm. Betty is framed like, cinematically I guess in in the middle of the hallway and it's like the two hallways are like bookending her and it's like she's trapped and I just felt like that shot was so uh it was so it was such a good shot it was really uh great and it was something that when I first saw this remember for the listeners that I saw this first with my mom all the way through she said that is such a good shot and she's they she also said they're really good at shooting her in this house yeah. Being not only trapped, but being small, and the house is really big. She looked like a like a child. She's standing Ooh. to one side, and she her her legs were in, and the coat is huge on her. I definitely always remember that shot when I think of Batman. And then that scene actually ends by Betty getting a letter out of Don's office, which we will circle back to in a little bit. But she's immediately suspicious. That's the one thing you have to know. Yes. So right. I, I just wrote duck meeting number <laughs> one for the next one. There's yes. a lot of duck meetings this time. Yeah. Oh, I have, I can't wait to point something out in this meeting, but duck is basically laying down the law and he's like, here, here's what we're doing while I'm head of accounts. And he basically is like, you're going to have your whole life consumed by work. And he's like, you're, we're going to have a list of people that you take to lunch. You're going to network hard. You're going to bring in the business, you know? And then he admits to himself or admits in this meeting rather that he spent (laughs) like a, an hour and a half in a sauna eavesdropping on like waiting to eavesdrop on people. And that's how he like found the Kodak people. And I was like, you spent an hour and a half in a sauna. Like that's so unhealthy. That, and you must've been like a full raisin by the end. He's, I think he said he lost a couple pounds, which <sighs> I definitely was like, you didn't faint. And also that that seems like it would be a test in how much you want this account. You have to sweat, literally sweat it out the entire conversation. But I guess Duck is trying to make his name. Was that assuming, like, he knew the Kodak people were going to end up in the sauna? Or was he just, like, sitting in a sauna like a weirdo for an hour and a half waiting for (laughs) potential clients to come in, like, full... I, I was like, I don't know what to... by Duck. I, that's actually true, because the I'm more so I think upset. about it... I'm just upset that he was in a sauna for an hour and a half. You were right, because the scenario was good. Either he was waiting, and then he saw, found them there and eavesdropped so he knows knew they were going to be there too or three he scheduled a meeting in a sauna (laughs) (laughs) are bad oh god i can never look at the scene again that's upsetting but duck is generally an upsetting character as we will get to in future seasons very much so all right so i think the next scene oh it's the beginning of the peggy and the relaxer adventure so we open on Peggy rec- uh, listening to some voice actors. Voice voice actors. I was like voice artists. Why can't I think of that word? Some <laughs> voice like, actors. There's three of them. Three women, I believe. 
there's three women and we're listening to at first Annie who I I'm curious who you think is the best there's three women there's Annie and then Rita and then the one other one that gets booted yes. right away do you agree with Peggy that Annie's the best because it's something that she asserts in this scene yes but uh, it's I don't want to skip too far ahead and spoil like the when we circle back to okay this, but, let, let's chat at the like, end because yeah, I definitely I, have opinions. I do I do think Annie was the best. She's also the prettiest. I don't know if that's relevant because Peggy ultimately makes the decision. And that seems like something a guy would do in this office would like pick the hottest girl, Mm -hmm. you know, but Ken in this scene, like this initial scene, he like, doesn't, he likes Rita more. Right. Which is yes. Which is surprising. Yeah. Because she's not the hottest person in the room, but like, I guess not to give too much away of, cause we'll talk about it later, but like, you do you think Ken like what about Rita do you think that Ken liked better than Annie I think that Ken said she's something like she's knowing kind of like the relaxer and I think that he was coming at it from a male point of view so sort of like the female point of view is they wouldn't want to be upfront be like this is a sexual thing in in the actual voice, but then mm. Ken was thinking about it like a man and saying, you would want the sexuality to be in the voice up front. So I think it was him kind of viewing it from a male perspective, but Peggy going, no, no, no. Ooh. Women at this time don't want it to be like sexy um, in the voice. That's going to embarrass them. We want, They wanted to have the sheen of like confidence. And then kind of when they yes. see it, they're like, oh, that's my secret. And then that whole thing. Um, so that was kind of my read. That's um, a good read. My my question for you is yeah. when did they land on the relaxicizer name? Because in the last episode it was called the rejuvenator. Was it? I don't even remember. Yeah, we Honestly, never get the full like this is what we're calling it, and then it's just implied. And I, then- I think it's basically like there's so many names, like we're gonna call it something else because all these names suck. And I guess they the they should get rid of the Isor name, by the way. Well, we we decided in the last episode, I think, or whenever they talked about this, like that we thought the rejuvenator was a better name for this product than the yes. relaxicizer. Well, let's just, don't invent words, okay? Like, this is weird. <laughs> um, I wanted to flag in this scene. I thought it was really interesting that Peggy was sort of reading the riot act to Ken and explaining why she thought Annie was the best uh, voice actor. And she said, whatever the properties of this thing are... What we're selling is confidence. And yep. in that moment, I'm like, she sounds like Don. She's becoming Don. She knows that she knows how to phrase things, but she also knows that you're not selling a product. You're selling kind of like a feeling like he I think he says that like in a different uh, season. So I thought it was interesting to see her kind of come into her own and feel really confident and kind of really become Don's protege in the scene a little bit. Yeah. And then Ken, like when they ultimately choose Annie as the voice actress to move on for the final recording. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken, Ken is like a little in disagreement with it, but he's like, you know what? You can ultimately make the decision. Like this is your copy and everything. And then Ken is like, if I get a hard time, like I'm going to tell people it's your idea. And Peggy is like, it was my idea. And I was like, Oh, you know, that was an, Oh, for sure. (laughs) I want to like, honestly snaps. That takes some, some balls to have that line. Honestly, that takes some guts. Like I can't imagine being sassy at my job and going, that was my idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's very cute though. Cause she's very smug about it. She's like, it was my idea. You know, she's feeling Um, herself. So in the next scene, we're back with the Drapers and Betty is being like really passive aggressive when Don comes in and Don Mm -hmm. even says like, 
come on, Bets, like right when I walk in the door and she's being passive aggressive about like Thanksgiving, but she's clearly like thinking about the conversation with Francine. Mm-hmm. Um, she ultimately like tells Don, like she had a really bad day because of like what happened. And she tells Don that Francine's husband is cheating on her. Yeah. And Don's reaction to the affair is not great and not he very co- subtle. It's not subtle at all. Um, as I mentioned before, I watched this episode first with my brother and he audibly laughed during the scene because it was so obvious that Don was going, oh, oh yeah, no. Like, huh. He like, like his body moves back and he blinks like a lot. And it's just very much like, yeah. Oh no, like, that's, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Cheating is my thing, not his thing. And then Betty asked Don, how could someone do that? And the classic Don answer was <laughs> like a fortune cookie. Like who knows why people do what they do. And that's and just another then, line to, like, not deal with the consequences, like mm-hmm. you said, you know? It's was so infuriating, and what a staring contest they have after that. Huh. Betty has never looked more pissed, and, as my brother noted, Don looked away first. He looked down. Ooh. He was he was definitely, <laughs> ooh, I fucked up here. So, a lot of O's and O's, I told a you. A lot of O's and O's this one. Ooh, so then, if I may move on, we go <laughs> to the Kodak projector. Ooh, Duck and Don, scene number two, duck meeting number two. So in this, the scene starts out great, where it's like the Kodak projector is in the foreground, and you zoom out from it, and Duck is like, they want to call it like the donut or the wheel, and they're basically saying how, you know, the research and development of Kodak kind of wants that terminology in the ad in some way, Don, in response, is like, ah, yeah, like, reinventing the wheel. Like, as if that's going to be, like, a really trite thing that all the other ad agencies working on this project are going to say, basically. Mm-hmm. He knows he has to work with something that's kind of flat. And then Duck basically wants Don to nail this so that Duck looks good. Because this is, like, it's his first account that he's bringing in as head of accounts. Which I understand, but when... Duck said that basically you can make me look good here. I thought that was a little forward. Don doesn't know you like that. And Don sort of made a face when Duck left. So it's going to begin a long saga of those two hating each other, Um, which I don't think that Don's entirely wrong. No, Don was just like made partner. So isn't he technically like higher than Duck anyway? It is a little bit pushy of Duck to say that. You're trying to make me look good. (laughs) Anyway. Do you have anything else? These scenes are going quick. Yeah. Um, no, I think I'm ready for the horrifying <laughs> yeah, and do really you interesting relaxing recording. You yes. you were like setting that up for us and we've circled back to it. I I would be happy to. It's uh going back to the next day. So Annie was chosen as the voice actor, and we're listening to it in basically the the listening booth with Ken and Peggy again. Mm-hmm. And as Annie is reading, it's clear that Peggy's confidence in her own choice is going down. Okay. And she, it, by perspective, and she goes, keeps on saying, Annie, this voice actor, does not sound confident. And then stopping her and starting and stopping and starting. Giving her a lot of notes. Giving her a lot of notes. So I think I would stop there and say, what do you think about the choice of Annie? And do you think she sounds different today compared to the last day she was recording? Okay, so I I think we talked about this last week, but I feel like this scene kind of, it it feels very strange to me because I Mm -hmm. feel like Annie sounds the exact same way she sounds during the audition. 
And I think you're right. Like, I really like your interpretation that Peggy's seemingly like less confident right now. And maybe like, I don't know if what Ken said got in her head or if she just feels like it's not like perfection, but I feel like Annie is doing great. And then she gets all these notes and then she starts to like, not be great, like very visibly, like not be as confident because of all the notes from Peggy. And I'm like, this scene just feels really like mean and off to me. I read it that way almost all the other times. And I maybe I'm revealing too much about myself here. This time, at least the beginning, I think Peggy handled it wrong. But I was like, she's right. That girl doesn't sound as good as she did the day before. Really? <laughs> and that's what I would think, too. Okay, Which means think, I'm not fun to work with. But, did you um, think that Rita sounded better? No. I think that Peggy totally made the right choice. And I think Ken, I think she's like, she's just warming up. So I think Peggy... Annie didn't sound as good. My interpretation is Annie didn't sound quite as good. She sounded pretty good, but not quite as good as the day before. And Peggy panicked and blew up the whole thing that they would have gotten there if they would have just given that girl like a little bit more time. But it's, you should know. It was like, it was interesting because it showed that Peggy, which I think we will see in later seasons, Peggy kind of has low emotional intelligence. Yeah, that's true. She just destroyed this girl's confidence and then picks at her and picks at her when she wants her to sound confident, which is something that has to be somewhat organic. So right. I think she keeps like just repeating, remember confidence. And it's like, it, what do you mean? You know, it, it was mean, but it, more in my mind, I just go the logic route. Like it was dumb of her. Like you should have realized that this girl would sound less confident when you just say, confidence and that's your note <laughs> well the scene just totally escalates like after it, a few notes so bad after a few notes um annie asks for pineapple juice because she has a cold which is like why are you asking for pineapple juice i don't know maybe i need some pineapple i was juice. gonna say maybe you need pineapple juice today <laughs> um, it, would, it sounds then, like that would hurt your throat if you have a sore throat but okay and then peggy is just like we got some water like right in the corner it'll it's it'll like great for your throat oh she's being so like <laughs> Weird. She's being kind of a jerk, honestly. Yeah. And then, like, Annie starts crying and she just keeps trying to, like, say the lines, like, through tears. And it's so heartbreaking. Um, and basically, Peggy's like, well, we're going to can her. And I was like, I feel like that's a little extreme. Like, can you give it another day? Like, can you write some actual, like, productive notes and, like, give this girl another chance? And basically, like, Annie leaves. Be, sorry, this is more of a logistical thing, but wouldn't you sign a contract with right. the person? And then like, that would be a lot more work to have to rehire the other person. Yeah. And then Annie ends up leaving after like many horrible takes in a row where she's just spiraling because of Peggy's bad direction. It, honestly. it is a very painful scene to watch. It goes on for about a minute and a half longer than I'm able to stand. <laughs> and then <laughs> like Peggy yeah. basically, at least this is how I interpreted it, but Peggy basically asked Ken to like ask her out or to like do quote unquote, do whatever you do, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah, we do find was... out that Annie is single because Peggy is kind of like, like, are you married? Like picture that you're like, you know, coming home to your husband. And it's like, well, you also just picked a girl who like doesn't have a husband. So is that like another bad slight on Peggy's choice? There was a line where Ken said, you know, I could have told you she's single and then goes on to say a girl like that, that looks like that would never be confident because she will never wow. sound confident because she never is. And then I, I was thinking, what does that mean? Yeah. Why? Why? But she's honest, hot. Like, I don't get it. I, 
So clearly I don't understand something about Ken's reasoning. And I don't want to think that, oh, he knows like the man matrix or whatever. Like he understands something we don't. But I actually am confused about part of Ken's notes there. But I did think it was interesting that Peggy's like, ask, say something to make her feel pretty. Ask her out. Make her feel confident. She thought that that would help. Um, I don't like, know if that's do you like even a, know your own kind, Peggy. Like, I feel like that doesn't help. Again, emotional intelligence is not there, even though like the the work acumen is really high. So, so in the next scene, Don is looking at his own slides, um, but he also gets the box of photos that Adam sent him, and he's looking through those photos, right? Mm -hmm. And that provokes him to call the hotel that Adam was staying at, like, several months prior at this point, you know? It was a while ago, and I think it was a couple of episodes ago, too, that we see what gets revealed shortly after this on the phone that Adam's hung himself. Yeah, this was sad. So basically, he calls the hotel clerk, and he's like, I'm looking to contact someone, Adam Whitman. He was here, like, a while back, and the clerk was like, oh man, I'm sorry to tell you this, like for me, but he hung himself and oh my God, John Hamm's acting in this is so intense and good. And he's just like, just, oh, they said, the clerk said that the city took his money, which you had been prepping us for. Mm -hmm. And John is just so choked up and shocked, like kind of just drops the phone and starts like crying basically. And he says, yeah, he just goes, okay. And then he just hangs up and clearly he gets drunk after this and it's sad because one he must think i can't connect with his family member anymore but two must be thinking that i sort of contributed to this because i said i just want you to go away and in a way that's what adam did he went away which is really sad yeah it's it's a very sad scene and that's really all that happens consequence number two oh yep that's right so there's more to there's more to come so in the next scene, uh, Betty opens the letter that she took from Don's office and calls the number from the letter, um, basically doing what Francine did. It's almost like she wants to self-sabotage a little bit here because mm-hmm. Betty strikes me as the kind of woman who wouldn't have normally swiped a letter from her husband's desk, but now she's starting to feel real suspicious. So she has to know, and I think it is kind of interesting because she knows, she just heard Francine say, damn it, I know everything. What am I going to do? And yet she calls the number, but she feels compelled to call and she finds out it's not, it's not a woman, it's a man. She finds very, she's very surprised that she hears a man's voice pick up the line on the side of this number that's all over their phone bill. And then the really good reveal is it's actually her therapist. It's not anything, anyone having to do with anything else, but that is just as much of a betrayal on some level to her as cheating is. At least we, from her face, I intuit that. So I'm assuming the letter was a bill, potentially. Like I think so. That that so, was the number that was called over I and over again. I'm almost like it. We obviously know that the therapist has been in, in dialogue with Don, but would Betty put two and two together and realize like that was happening, or is it more like Don is the breadwinner, so he has to pay the bills, kind of thing? I don't know. It is true. Actually, that's a good point. It is true that. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, because the therapist answered, she would know that they were having phone calls about her. But About her sessions. That's true, honestly. I I guess 
the way I interpreted it is they had had a several conversations where he had been sort of angry about, you know, you're paying a lot for this therapy and it's not working. And given that he's really fixated on it, that she would assume that the talk was something about why is this not working like a similar conversation. But it is true that she does understand what happened pretty quickly and is surprising. And actually what we see is not, great of him to do it's it's a, a betrayal but we don't see him going that deep into right. into the um the specifics of betty's therapy so honestly at least i felt like this is a reveal to us too if he's calling the therapist that many times where betty would notice it on the bill that she must be going really deep into what betty's saying yeah yeah i mean that's definitely up for interpretation um but it's not rachel which I don't know. I'm curious, like, what Betty was maybe feeling when she answered and it wasn't a woman. Like, is she relieved? Does she still feel suspicious? Like, obviously, we, like, know what happens down the line, but... Um, yes, yeah. that's true. It sort of replaces the suspicion, but it, that, that other suspicion is not gone. Right. She just... There's a different focus, and she knows that something... Something's she, up. she has been mistreated, even if it's not in that way, and it could still be in that other way. Yep. Uh, and then, oh, I love this next scene. Um, I, I mean, it's upsetting, but it's really funny, too. So Don is super wasted in the office, basically, as a result of that phone call. He just is, like, drinking away his feelings, which is not mm-hmm. a good idea. And he wakes up, and <laughs> Harry is walking around the office in his underwear, and he's holding a garbage can because he dropped a cigarette in the trash and it started on fire. <laughs> So this whole scene is just, like, so wonky and out of place, you know? It's really weird, and just the... Even if you think no one is there in the middle of the night, the confidence to stroll through your workplace <laughs> in tidy whities I don't think I could ever get there. I would uh, lock that door and not yeah. come out. And Don, like, calls Harry over, and Harry thinks he's in trouble because he's, like, sleeping in the office and in his underwear. And, and he, he doesn't put pants on before he goes and talks to Don. He, just <laughs> he doesn't, him. which is so funny. And he's also like, just almost set the office on fire. And um, Don just doesn't care at all. He's like, how do we sell this product? How do we sell the Kodak like donut wheel? Which is you know? just Don to a T, honestly. It really is. And then we find out like Harry just goes on kind of a tangent about how he was a UW Wisconsin boy he was a badger and I definitely wrote that down too yeah he's a little midwestern big 10 guy and sort of fits checks out it it definitely checks checks out but I also feel like he gives the midwest a bad name so it makes me mad (laughs) um and then we find out he was a really creepy journalist photographer for the UW paper because he would just like use his role at the journal to like take pictures of hot girls basically Mm mm-hmm but he also had this artsy side where he took all these pictures of photographs, so all these pictures of handprints on glass. And I, I have a question for you. Oh, I have a question too. Go ahead. I, I really hope it's the same question. So you can only fund <laughs> one piece of art. You know what's coming. It's going to either, it's going to be, you either have to fund the bear story. Oh no. Either. You have to fund <laughs> e- the bear story. Yes. Paul's play Death is My Client oh. or Harry's photograph collection of prints on glass. Wow. That is not what I was going to ask you, but that was, that's a really hard thing because I like I, them all. <laughs> I like them all and I also hate them all. Yeah. I, I feel like Death is My Client 
I think that's out for me. For me, I feel like I don't like that, but I feel like if I'm just looking at it as an investment, that is going to get a cult following hate watching and I could get some money back. So I'm going to choose that one based on the reality we're in. So it's like hard for me to pick that one. Whereas the other two have like their own originality, like outside of the existence of Mad Men. This is my client is totally hack, (sighs) but I feel like there's so much (laughs) glibness nowadays that I feel like I would get, I would get, I could be glib back and get money from it. it, Honestly. I I also really like the handprints because my question for you too. My question for you, this is kind of how I summed up the rest of the scene. And then we can go back to your question was like, Harry has depth and then Don is inspired. (laughs) I definitely thought that too. I was like, that doesn't sound half bad. And yeah, talking about like the cave paintings. Yes. Oh my God. The cave paintings. And he said something like, um, I always like cave paintings because when you look at like a handprint, like painted on a cave, it's almost like they're reaching out at you and you're like, whoa, like I am bored right now. I am having feelings. Um, This is what Hildy saw in him. I just really like that. But I also feel like it's kind of trash. So I think it's ding, 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 the bear story. (laughs) Ding, 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 the bear story. And I'm going to do, I chose wrong, but I'm going to just go to the clip road and just choose the, uh, thing that i think will make me money from hate watching i've been thinking um, about the bear story for like a while and i'm like I god can't. i really want to read it like i, I just really want to read it no can matthew gonna, weiner just write that bear story it could be like four pages you know ex- the extended madman universe multimedia <laughs> i honestly would love this there's got to be some fan fiction out there of somebody who wrote that or or like maybe i'll <laughs> there, try to write it you know oh my god you do a madman story I collection i can't really steal that but i could like do my own spin-off you yeah know? that's true matt weiner would see yes um <laughs> but like to go Great back to question the, to go back to the scene um i just am really surprised that as you said, it's Harry has death question mark and Donna's inspired question mark. And they're also having this deep ass conversation while Harry is underwear. fully in his underwear and Don is drunk. It's can these it, men just, just like not have awkwardness? Like I would just I can't talk to you. You're my boss. I'm wearing my underwear. I need to go away. I can't just talk to you about my deep thoughts right now. So I guess that I mean, says something about Harry. As someone who has worked in bars and restaurants i feel like you see many of people get very trashed and then they think they're like like a michelangelo and it's very funny to watch because they're just like (laughs) sitting at a bar getting trashed they're having these original ideas yes so from that funny scene to just really heartbreaking like the worst scene so sad i think this would be one of the top five saddest mad men scenes i I just put that out there I definitely agree. I definitely agree. This is up there. So Betty is going to the bank. Um, she just to say at the beginning, before we get to the sad part, she looks great. She has her yes. headband. She's wearing her blue coat, which is iconic. And I also sought out a coat that was identical color Ooh. of blue. If you remember in college, I had yes. that same, almost same blue coat. Oh my God, you did. Yes. I, that was definitely inspiration. But then Betty is sad, of course, from her, uh, conversations with Francine and with Don and realizing her husband had betrayed her and probably, as you said, still suspecting that Don is cheating on her too. But it has and no then, concrete proof at this point. And there's no no concrete proof. Okay. Yes. She's going to the bank and she sees Glenn in the car and knocks on the window, just goes right up. And Glenn rolls the window down and says, I can't talk to you because if you remember, mm. 
the, from before, cut, Betty cuts off a lock of her hair and gives it to Glenn. Glenn walks in on Betty. It's a little bit creepy. In reverse order, but also... It, right, um, right. Also, Betty slapped Glenn's mom in the I'm store. Met, so In the store a couple of episodes. So, so not, Helen is not, probably like, never talk to this crazy woman again. Yeah, never talk to your crazy neighbor again. But Betty said she goes up and says hi to Glenn. Glenn says, my mother and father say I can't talk to you. And then Betty says, I don't care. And then... You, yes. yes, go ahead. Do you... Okay, you'll you'll get into this dialogue. I feel like you're doing a great job of summarizing the scene. But do you feel like Betty sees herself in Glenn? I don't know if it's her... When people say that, I, I can never differentiate. I can never understand that because when you see yourself, I think she sees a part of herself. I don't know if that's the same as seeing herself, but she sees some of her own isolation and sadness in Glenn for some reason, which is just strange because it's an eight-year-old. Well, um, but, and I want to, I want to hear you keep describing the scene. Yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted your flow, but I just wanted to say too that I feel like as the scene progresses, she just goes into kind of like a childlike state, which is why I asked that question about Glenn. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's like deeply sad. Um, she, it, she's connecting with him on that level of being like a sad little kid and not really yeah. know what's going to happen. She says, I don't know if this skips ahead too far, but she basically says to Glenn that she can't talk to anyone and that she's sad. And I feel like those lines are like reducing her to a childlike state. Like those are just like ways that a kid would describe themselves. Yeah. She's also talking to a kid. So it's not like she can just pour everything out to him either, but it it is definitely reducing her to being sort of childlike and alone. And she has, I think this is my, one of my quotes of the episodes that just is really memorable to me. She starts crying and asks this eight-year-old, please tell me I'll be okay. While she's Ugh. holding the kid's hand because Glenn sweetly offers a little mitten because he doesn't know what to do because this adult who his mom said, stay away from is crying in front of him. And she just says, please tell me I'll be okay. And he says, I, I wish I was older. And she says, Kids don't know anything, Glenn. And it's just honestly, adults I, don't I, know I feel like anything. I'm gonna cry. Adult, yeah, that's right. Adults don't know anything. Thank you. And I feel like I'm going to cry right now. It's really deeply sad. And it's just Betty is sort of letting all this emotion out that she wasn't able to let out. And to your point, he Glenn kind of winds it back and says, you know, my mom's gonna come out of the store. I don't know how long she's going to be in there. And no, Betty he says sort of, something really like, oh, it's so sweet. Cause he's like my mom said she was going to be in the store or in the bank rather, whatever it is for 20 minutes. I don't know how long 20 minutes is. And I was like, that just shows how young he is. And I was also like, he was left in the car for 20 minutes also. I guess fifties, but also that is upsetting. Uh, Well, and I loved that she straightened up after that and said, of course, dear, and kind of turns back into an adult and has to walk away, even though she's sad. So she kind of reverts back and is, I have to close this off again and walks away. Now, my question from the scene before we move on is, she is alone, and I don't want to diminish, you know, the bad situation Betty's in, but why doesn't she talk to Francine about this? Because Francine comes to her with her husband's infidelity, so why does she not talk to Francine? She says earlier that she's like a sister to me. Well, you know, like, every time they've had dialogue, it's been so closed off. Like, I feel like it took Francine's husband to cheat on her for her walls to break down. Like, because every yeah, conversation they've true. had has been so stunted. Like, even in the last episode, she was like, like, Betty probably wanted to talk to Francine about the salesman. 
and how she had like a fantasy about the salesman. Cause you like conceivably would do that with like a girlfriend today. Be like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, this salesman came by. He was so hot, you know, for sure. But they just don't have that kind of friendship because like, everybody's so like stunted, you know? Um, yes. And I, I guess I, it may, that makes complete sense. I was just sad because if Francine's walls were broken down by what happened to her, I feel like what happened to Betty is pretty serious as well. So I just wish she would have reached Ooh, out to then, Francine, but, but I understand why. Betty is making Francine's reality her reality if she tells Francine about it. Yes. And it's also, it's a little bit losing face because yeah, she can't she like that, even admit that to herself yet. You know? Yes. It, it becomes real. And I mean, I guess also, she does you're this, in the next scene that we see her in, but that's true though. That's true that it would be this, this bridge you'd cross. And after you admit it to someone, you kind of can't go back and sort of like, he doesn't know, you know, like she doesn't know that, you know, no one knows, you know, <laughs> so that kind of is saving face. Anyway, have, this is uh, just sad scene. Yeah, I have a ahead. question and a comment. So you had said that they were at the bank and I like, I forgot to clock where they were. Is that true? Because I kind of was wondering, cause the next scene that we see Betty, she's at her therapist's office. So part of me was wondering if like maybe Helen and Betty see the same therapist. Like they were, but I don't think that, I think you're right. I think the bank would make more sense. I don't think it was the therapist. It could be the grocery store. It was right. definitely some, some errand type place. And then my last comment, which kind of makes me laugh, but it's also like rooted in deep sadness, is this moment will not help creepy Glenn from being creepy. It, it really won't. It will it's make so it more creepy. I'm sorry. It's really sad. No, you got to cut it with laughter because honestly, this is so sad that even like, you can... uh, like, like Glenn's line about like, I wish I was older, like to me has like an air of creepiness about it too. Cause it's almost like he wants to be like Betty's age to like maybe love her and that yeah. just feels and like save her he's getting uh, a little savior complex and you can t- you can kind of see in real time that he is he is like i will internalize this and ever <laughs> forever and like oh. uh, be unhealthy but also he it's he is surprising he's just a kid, though you know he's he's surprisingly kind to betty and does a good job at comforting her given how young he is so it's just all around there's no good segue. Let's just move on to Pete and Don, which will have some humor. <laughs> uh, well, let's see here. Um, Pete comes in all chipper into Don's office while he's clearly hungover and uh-huh. says to Don that he brought in an account like, yippee, you know, and he says this line like it matters to me that you're impressed. A line <laughs> that I wrote in my notes, like a line dripping in desperation. Um, this is, I think, the second time my brother laughed in the episode <laughs> we just laughed so hard and pointed out what would don have to be impressed about because literally you just that's your job your father, you know it's your job but you also just talked to your father-in-law and said like hey want to come work with us and he went sure like you didn't have to hunt this guy down he's no. literally in your family oh and um, oh, peter just has okay so peter has like two tones of voice the first tone is like the Da 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 voice where he's just like, I brought in a new account, you know? And he's just like, it <laughs> matters to me that you're impressed, you know? And it's like that very much like that. <laughs> he's, I, I was listening he's to a podcast. He's working. He's work. His voice is working, right? He's, yeah, he's trying I was listening to make to a it podcast. It, it goes back to all the weird things Pete says. Like, Pete is like very clearly like 
a man fresh out of the fifties who hasn't fully morphed into the sixties. Cause I feel like <laughs> I heard a podcast recently where we were talking about how like the cadence of like the twenties through the fifties, like was so like, you know, that voice of like, what are you talking about, Mary? You know, it's like uh-huh. that kind of voice. So Pete like talks like that, but his second voice <laughs> is like just anger and like cynicism and like pettiness. And he's just like, Oh, a thing like that, you know? So those are the two <laughs> sides of Pete Campbell. And in this oh. scene, he's he's like the the fifties cadence voice of like he has the fifties oily yes. <laughs> guy and the oh this is not this is not a good to come to face to face with who he is okay but I, I just don't I just don't like I don't like the peppy voice I prefer the, the angry Pete voice yes I definitely because that's who he really is he's not not the oily guy uh, so marking that this indicates that Don has not they don't. If you remember from last episode, let me back up. Bert says you can fire Pete if you want, but yes. one never knows how loyalty is born. We never find out in that episode if Pete is fired or not. And we don't know actually from the opening scene if he's fired or not. So this is the first demonstration, or maybe it was a prior scene, that Don didn't fire Pete, and Pete is now actually now loyal to him. So it actually worked. It is kind of weird, because now it's just like... We have to just accept that it's called the relaxizer instead of the rejuvenator. And we just accept that Pete did not leave nor get fired. It's just like we don't really get to see the, the, scene, the scene of him him being all sad. And I will follow you, Don. Although I guess we did get that scene before where, remember, he says, I'll follow you anywhere. And Roger goes, <laughs> don't ever say that. <laughs> oh, we don't get Roger. I can't wait to get Roger in season two. Oh my god, Roger is not in this episode, right? I guess he's he's sick. He had a heart attack. Oh, he hasn't been oh. in the last couple episodes. That's fine, I guess. <laughs> I, I miss him, to... but it's fine. I miss him, but it's okay. We have Betty and her therapy. That was a terrible segue, but I'm going with it. Oh no, um, it's it's it, this scene is rough. But I I will say I think this scene to go back to your funding idea. I think this scene with the therapist will make a great one act play. Or a monologue. That is so true. Ooh, I would love you just one therapy session. You learn more yep. and more about the yep. person. Because the therapist, yes. as per usual, doesn't say anything, but Betty just reveals herself in this. And um and she's talking you put about the, you put the mom reveal. I'm sorry, I get so excited about this though. You put the mom reveal that has to be like halfway through and all this is the first time the therapist speaks and says you're sitting up and it's this big reveal of like, oh, <laughs> this guy's talking. Ooh. Yes. Okay, it would we're be doing a good it. play. Yes. <laughs> So Betty goes to her therapist again. She's just talking to him and she's talking about how stressful Thanksgiving is and how it reminds her of last year. Her mom was sick and this year she's dealing with her dad dating Gloria, Mm -hmm. which sucks. Like what a sucky, like, I don't know, time marker, I guess. It's rough. Honestly, she's going through a lot that you would have a lot of uh, negative emotions around that. Um, And then she says, um, she would be happy if her husband is faithful. And the therapist like kind of reacts, like he stops kind of writing notes. And it's like very clear that that hasn't really been said in this room before. And you can tell that Betty is sort of glancing now that she knows that yes, uh, therapist yes. and Don are talking. She's sort of glancing and laying her trap Yep. For yep. Don, Don, you're going to hear, I'm going to confront you with this information, but through the therapist, oh, which yes. I think is very smart. Um, you're right that the therapist sort of reacts, but also like it's a doesn't reaction. even doesn't even say anything. He just like scribble, scribble. So that's I mean, great. Yeah, don't you think like a little like what makes you think that's happening would have been useful there? I, I, 
we've <laughs> almost never seen his voice in these sessions. Only once. It's the well, one. It's the one time in our one act play that he talks is during the mom scene. And then I yes, yes. go ahead. Well, he sh- she says um, Don doesn't know what family is because he doesn't have one. So she's talking about like why can't he just come to like my family's Thanksgiving? Like he doesn't even have a family. Mm-hmm. And well, I think it's real. I think it's really interesting in this scene. He starts. She starts talking about his family and i think that this is the part where she's not saying things to don anymore she's sort of actually going into a therapy session and she's starting to talk about her feelings about don which it does feel like this is her first time talking about don maybe she hasn't talked about don that much and how she is feeling unhappy with him um she says about his family and talks about she doesn't hit the kids he's kind inside but he you know, he doesn't have a family and he's off by himself. And he, she has this great point. And let me know if I'm skipping anything here, but she has this great point where she says, you know, sometimes when we're making love, it's what I want, but it's what someone else wants. And it's I not suppose, what I want. It's what, wait, the way he makes love, it's what's, yeah, you're right. It's what someone else wants. And she has this final line, which I think is excellent. She says, I suppose that means I'm not enough but maybe it's just him. And this is this part of her turn to realize that it's actually, he's not, it's not that I'm not good enough. I'm not going to blame myself and fear losing this. Maybe this is not good enough for me. And I thought that that was like a really interesting end to this scene. The only thing I clocked that you didn't say is she says, I should be angry that I put up with him or with it like some ostrich. Like she's just been keeping her head in the ground this whole time, you know? Yeah. This scene, I, I, I was like writing everything she was saying. It was like a lot of pausing. It was, uh, again, I think that the therapy is, e- even though I would not credit this to the therapist who just literally just sits there and writes, <laughs> um, it has been helping because I think she actually does come to a realization in this scene and work through something sort of. Yes. All right. So so next. Oh, the Kodak pitch. Duh wheel. Oh my God. It's so good. This scene. Okay. I feel like if you, if you're a first time watcher of the show, you're watching all of these episodes and you are like, who are these people? What's going on? What is this time period? And then this like gets you in, you know, this gets you locked in. You're like, Damn it, I have to watch season two. I gotta yes. watch season three. <laughs> um, I I have to say, even having watched this scene twice in two weeks, both times afterwards, I paused and like pumped my fist and went like, damn, that's a good scene. Like so honestly, good. It's like honestly, it might be one of the top scenes of Mad Men ever. So I I definitely agree. Uh so Don is giving this pitch to Kodak. Um, there's a little bit of back and forth at the beginning, but that's not the exciting thing. So Don starts giving this pitch and saying, you know, you want us to lead with technology and technology is this lure basically that's a flash. Yep. And it's like saying something's new, but really we want to add sentiment to the pitch instead. Um, sort of annoyingly, he uses Greek and he says, uh, nostalgia literally means the pain from an old wound, which I find really beautiful but also i've been thinking about that for a really long time since i watched the episode it's beautiful but i'm also mad because he yelled at peggy for using latin in her pitch like a couple of (laughs) oh my uh, god excuse me don although i do agree what don chose was a lot better than what peggy chose so he goes 
on. I want to sit yes. with that really quick because for sure he just I don't know like he's he's basically pushing for nostalgia over something new and that whole like pain from an old wound line I find really interesting because it's like I, when I think of my own understanding of nostalgia I don't always think of it as being something painful I guess it's painful <laughs> in the sense that it's like something that you kind of miss and want and want to relive, but you can't really reach or like, it's like a memory that like brings, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot. Maybe I don't really have that much to say about it, but that kind of breaks in to him going into like storytelling pitch mode for the, (laughs) for the product. For sure. And before we move on, I wanted to say that I agree with you that it sort of changed how I view nostalgia. And I did realize that after hearing that the first time that, you know, when you see an old photo, you do go, aw, and it's kind of sad, actually. The way you react, you go, oh, remember that. And it's kind of, you have a sad tone of voice when you talk about these things that you remember. So it's happy, but it is also sad. As you so, know, I use this line, too, in one of our personal calls, because I heard this song that brought me right back to college, like, with you. And I was oh. like, oh, it's the pain from an old wound. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, I can feel the pain and the joy in one. <laughs> And I feel like, ooh, I feel like he stole this a little bit. It sounds a little bit like Rachel saying about Utobos and Utopos, that it's like (laughs) the place that cannot be. It definitely has those vibes. Yes. Being inspired by Rachel. But anyway, do you want to take the the storytelling? Yeah, I mean, he starts like, uh, after he does this whole thing about nostalgia, he starts projecting slides of his own life. And might I say, all of these photos are fucking fantastic like beautiful photos they look really realistic they look so happy i love to think about in the actual writer's room of mad men them pitching different photos they should take i bet they had a lot of fun creating those photos and i really would like the lost photos that they didn't show because i'm sure there's a lot of them yeah because there's like some of um it goes in chronological order of don's life like you see Don and Betty when they were probably first dating you see them at like her pregnant and then you see the kids and like the playground and they're all very adorable photos Mm -hmm. and Don is basically like you know this is not a wheel like it's a time machine and we have this ache to like uh look at these photos again and again I'm probably not like it takes us to a place where we ache to go again and Don's face when he says that and he's realizing that he's losing his family is just so good yes it's a great contrast so good and then he's basically like yeah we're scrapping this wheel idea like this isn't a wheel it's a carousel because that kind of like that image of a carousel it's like you go back and forth and back and forth but it also has nostalgia because it's like a ride that you ride as a kid and it also has this like time machine element because you're like literally moving in motion it's just it is it is so brilliant and he nails it so like honestly so much better than it's toasted he's come a long way <laughs> um and i actually i know i'm pulling us out of the emotion of the scene for a second but when we watch the scene my brother said i think grandpa had one of those and then i confirmed with my mom that it is called the carousel and it was a product that did exist and that my brother uh, saw photos on, which I, I mean, obviously these are all real products, but I was fine, kind of interested in that my grandpa actually had a carousel yeah, that's and so used it cool. to show us pictures. And then, yeah, there's like a flash of like the ad that Sal probably did. And it's just like, 
uh, there's a carousel in the foreground and then there's like kind of a smaller projector in the front and it just says <laughs> like the carousel and it's, it's, it's great. It's great. Harry cries a little bit, has to leave because he lost his family as well. Oh. Don looks a little bit like, oh shit. I looks like he got like, punched in the gut, you know? And then Duck, I loved it. Duck just with his cigarette goes, good luck at your next meeting. Oh, oh my God. He's so oh. smug. He's, He's so, so smug, smug about but it. <laughs> Don did make him look good in his first month there. So, so basically, Nearly immediately after this meeting, they find out that Kodak is going with them because obviously, like, how could they not? And they start celebrating. And Don was that good? Yeah, it was. I mean, we're we are all floored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so they go in Don's office and celebrate. And Don hands Duck a glass of whiskey, I believe. And Duck avoids drinking. He's just like, nope, none for me, which becomes important later, as we mm-hmm. know. Um, and then. Basically, they're talking about Clarisil and how that's Pete's new account that he brought in from his father-in-law. And Don is basically like, I'm going to put Peggy on that copy. And and Pete is like, like really upset about it. And he gets into his non, you know, oily voice. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, this is serious. Like, I don't want some silly girl like working on this copy, you know. That'll walk away. You're reviewing yourself too much, Pete. Also, I love that Don is clearly just doing this uh to mess with pete and just show okay are you really loyal to me let's test you let's see if you can put up with me messing with you right because pete's like basically asking don like are you serious and then don basically like barks peggy's name he's like peggy like get in here and peggy comes in and then he's basically like you're a junior copywriter now your next assignment is clarisil and it's and then Paul says, like, Peggy's like in shock and she's like, Are you serious? And Paul's like, Well, don't act surprised. And it's just like a great scene. It's it's great. Honestly, it's so exciting to have Peggy get promoted beyond her path to be a uh, career badass. And it's so funny that it happened just because Don was fucking with Pete. <laughs> that is the only reason I believe that happened. Literally always. <laughs> um, did you have anything else there? No, and I think I just want to go right into yes. a continuation of the scene where Joan... The, in the helping. best outfit, right? Yeah, I, I, honestly, we're overlapping hands here. Hands down. I have, I have to down. choose. She looks yeah. fantastic. I wish I could... Like, the the top part of that dress, it's like orange. It's like tiger striped. I feel like it wouldn't work on anyone but her because it's kind of cinched in a weird the way, but boobs, she looks fancy. Dude, she has like the right boobs where it's like the entire top part is that tiger striped, like thing and the rest of the body is just like jet black and it looks and then it's all slinky she looks great yes and she's leading uh we we just have to agree on that one for this episode (laughs) fitting for the finale um and she shows peggy to her new office peggy is asking do i get business cards what do i do here and there jonah's a little bit snippy and saying you know enjoy it but maybe you won't enjoy it sort of stuff and eventually leads Peggy to her new office, which she'll share with someone else. It's not a great office, but it has a door, which is always exciting. It's a step up, even though it's not a step into a good place, but Peggy will get her own great office in season two. And then Peggy goes, uh, says, I am feeling not that great. I'm going to go. Before that, I have a question. Um, Yes. The guy that shares the office with her, did you note what he does? Like, why is he in this shitty office? I get. 
I don't know, but I assume if they're sticking her in that office, then those are the really low-down copywriters. So it so doesn't really of, matter. So it's just I like... I don't think so. I don't think we ever see that guy again. No, but he's just like... <laughs> I just feel like he's very visibly kind of like a not... <laughs> I, I don't know how to say this without sounding he's not really glamorous. He's not like, yeah, he's not like a glam guy, I guess. He's wearing a bow tie, a Ill, there's Ill like fitting suit. There's stacks of stuff. I think there's, there's a little bit of garbage. zero sunlight in that room. So it's not it's not great, but again, it has a door. So and that's then, better yeah, than... I was I was basically just gonna end the Joan segment before we get into I think what you're gonna bring up um by saying Joan kind of gives her this like snide warning of um, just, you know, know that as easily as this came to you, it could always be taken away. Like, know, know where you came from kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Be be kind to the secretary because that's basically who you should be loyal to. I don't and know then, if she feels, like, threatened by Peggy moving up, but probably I not because it's Joan. I think it's something that we'll be go to, into in later seasons. It's sort of interesting where I think she does sort of, but it's a little bit hey, you can do that, you know, because I think that she never thought she could have another path. And clearly Joan would be really competent to in basically account work, but she can't work her way up. So to see a woman work her way up is probably a little bit, feels a little bit unfair. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So, so Peggy says she's not feeling well. Yes. And then she, we cut immediately to her going to the hospital because clearly her stomach hurts really bad. Okay. And I'm sorry. I just keep asking questions. Wouldn't her water break? That's what I was thinking. Not not even her water breaking, but if she was going into labor, having attraction. So basically the spoiler here is Peggy finds out she's pregnant in the scene at the hospital at the the doctor's office and she did not know uh the no one knew basically it who was watching or in the land of the show so it's this big reveal i also had this question how she must have a really impressive pain tolerance because she said i have a bad sandwich if she when she's going into labor i know literally i'm just like where's the water breaking and then like the doctor is kind of like uh, listening to her stomach and feeling her stomach. And that's when he says that she's expecting and that she's about to go into labor and it's like, or is go is in labor. And I'm like, Peggy never felt a kick in her stomach. Like I, I, I personally have never been pregnant. So I'm like, I don't know what that Babe. would feel like, but I'm just like, feel like <laughs> there would be some kicking, you know, there would have to be, well, this has, I think we've talked about this yes, before. It this feels does, silly that the, does, it's like, there's literally a show about this. So this happens and I'm not like blaming anyone who this has happened to, but sometimes there, it's just hard to believe, you know, there has to be, it's interesting because they call the psychiatrist in afterwards. So clearly with Peggy, I mean, even when she's being told this and feels the kick based on the, the doctor putting her own hand on her stomach, and she feels the kick, she's denying it. So I feel like there has to be some serious disconnection with your body to oh, have yeah. that happen because she missed all of her period. She gained weight. She'd feel a kick. I can't imagine that she wouldn't be through an extreme pain. And I find it interesting, and I don't know if this was just trying to speed things up for the plot or something that was on purpose, that the moment she feels the kick and she goes, I'm going to leave, she collapses because yeah. she's just feeling like, the pain happening, actually. You know? yeah. Yes, the pain escalates suddenly when she's confronted with the reality of what's happening to her. And I remember when I first watched this, I was so horrified by it. And it really made me question Peggy as a character, which is probably why I was a little like cold on her initially. Because I was just like, it's it's just like a terrifying scene like to happen to any woman. Like that would be the worst, you know? 
Um, but it, yeah, this, this whole thing does kind of feel like a little quick, um, even though they've been building up to it, like with her weight gain. And I don't know, I, I sometimes feel like, I feel like we've talked about this and I don't know how to put this eloquently, but it's like, it, it almost felt like it took Peggy being so disassociated with her body. So not putting emphasis on appearances for her to get ahead in work. And there's something that feels really weird about that, but I'm like, I don't know if it could have happened any other way. Like, I think she maybe, like, maybe she was putting up her own wall with this weight gain to deal mm-hmm. with like the toxic work environment because she like obviously cares about it in a really weird way. I definitely think that that's, it's really, so let me go in order here. First of all, I definitely agree that Peggy was putting up a wall. And I think that that's something they do really well, that they have this reveal. And even though it's a little bit quick, they have, I think I called it before a red herring that she's gaining weight as a shield. And now kind of yes. after hearing you say this, I think it could be both that she was both getting pregnant and using the weight as a shield a little bit yeah. Yeah. from the toxic work environment. So I think the show does a good job with that where you don't really know where it's going, but also multiple things can be happening to her at once. They kind of are all of a piece. Yes. Um, I do agree that even though it couldn't, it could only happen that way where she becomes dissociated with her body. She's not really looking great, let's say, because of course she's getting pregnant. Um, that's the only way they can, like, she can be one of the guys and be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. While that would be realistic, there's something kind of, I don't want to say offensive, upsetting about that. Like, it just that, see that reality. Well, it that is. She, it yeah. has to be so extreme <laughs> that she could never get there. And that's part of why, to go back to Joan, what you were talking about before, maybe why Joan feels later like it's unfair that she could not have done gone the same route as Peggy because he had to have this extreme circumstance to be able to and also a coincidence with Don just happening to fuck happening to fuck with Pe- Pete that day Ugh, to get and ahead. I also said like we've been talking a little bit about how we don't fully understand why Don is giving Peggy a chance and I, I made that joke like it's because she's not like one of the quote unquote hot girls or whatever but I'm like maybe that's true too you know it's like it allows them to not objectify her, yeah. which is upsetting. Right. I know, I know. And I just find, I don't know. The they whole can be Peggy people thing, too. Crazy. Peggy season one is a rough Peggy, and it's like a rough storyline to wrestle with a little bit. And it's it's left of all the storylines in a really rough place because we, other than Roger, who's just sitting in a bed somewhere having had a second heart attack, we leave Peggy not wanting to hold her own baby, turning away, seeming to not accept it. And that's where we leave her yeah. at the end and of the season. Don't really. There's a couple, I think, dialogue bits that like go back to this, but this never really comes up again. It's it's definitely scattered. I think we have the biggest reveal about Peggy's feelings about this. There is in like two seasons. Yeah. Two episodes from like the finale of the entire yep. series. So it's really strong throughout and we don't really know all of her feelings about it she seems to just put again put up a wall but put up a wall at this reality and she'll do that next season i'm glad you kind of wrap that up because there is though an like a micro scene in between that kind of breaks up the the birth and then the not wanting to hold the baby and the nurse taking Mm -hmm. the baby away so there's a micro scene where peter comes home (sighs) Oh, yeah. I know. I know. 
I know. I it would have been nice that. if all of this had happened at the same time, but it was a little no, out of order, I, but that's fine. I, it's not because of that. It's because <laughs> Pete is such a child here. Yeah. So he comes home to Trudy and Mr. and Mrs. Trudy and Trudy kisses him. I believe she like can smell that he's been drinking and like probably taste that he has alcohol on his breath. Ugh. Um, so he's clearly like not taking the Peggy news. Well, I guess of like, <laughs> it's like you're it's, such a baby. Well, is he such a baby because he got, didn't he get his bonus like this same day or like two days ago and got mm. a book of Ayn Rand from Bert. <laughs> like he just got a big success. Yeah, he said, I'm impressed by you. And it's then like he just he's got still just hanging. He's just hanging on to like, I'm not head of accounts. And now this like quote unquote, silly little girl is going to be doing my copy clear so you know You're, so in a way the just i guess i mean that, that's way too fucked up i was going to say enjoy it. you're in charge of her now you actually have power uh, over her. like why are you not i just I know the he's fact just that like he's not so, he's definitely like a glass half empty kind of guy he, i feel like <laughs> most of the people on the show are but particularly pete and donna maybe that's why they get along um and pete says i should lay down and the most petulant thing I've seen in this show so far is he takes off his coat and he just gives up and the coat Ugh. slides off onto the floor and he just walks <laughs> into the room. I, this is just such a yuck. I can't handle it. It's well, so and petulant. then Mr. Trudy is like, make sure you're awake later, which is like a really like kind of funny and disgusting line. So it's basically like to impregnate my daughter, you know? It's so awkward. And then Trudy goes daddy and it's just so funny that she's so embarrassed <laughs> like it's a really good running gag until they eventually have a kid so then the scene happens we don't really need to rehash it there's like a lot of post-birth trauma and the nurse mm -hmm. handing peggy the baby and she just like doesn't say anything and looks away it's a bummer like let's move on um to the final scene where we also get kind of a little <laughs> whoopsie do here yeah this is yeah, rough too. Everything this is such a depressing ending. It really is. So Don is getting his final bit of uh, consequences mm. for the episode. Um, he is see him on a train alone. Everyone is excited because it's clearly the day before Thanksgiving, and he is alone, staring, smoking out the window as he designed. And he's clearly feeling bad because oh, he and that also parallels. I just realized when he leaves the Whitmans and he's on the train with the woman. Ooh, yeah. Very parallel. And looking out the, the like window, the birth kind of, of Don alone. Draper and the demise of Don Draper. The oh. beginning of the demise. Oh. Of, it's all coming together. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a good parallel and it's definitely the start of the end for Don. He's going to start to unravel here and he's clearly upset and he learned his, um, his brother hung himself partly based on his own actions. Rachel, the girl that he was sleeping with, is overseas. He got in trouble at work. He was sad and he realized pain from a wound looking at his his family's photos. He's not having a great week, even though that was... he nailed Kodak. But he nailed Kodak. But, you know, maybe work isn't everything, Don. So <laughs> he's starting to realize that. He's feeling bad. Um, should have thought this through sooner. And there's this great scene where you see him imagining. But you don't know he's happen. imagining. We don't know he's imagining. So I spoil that a little bit. So he comes to the door and Betty is dejected and says, you know, daddy has to work. He's not coming with us. The kids are already on the couch. You know, you can drive us to the train, but you're, you're going to work and 
we're going to have Thanksgiving without you. And he is a big hero and puffs himself up and says, I'm coming with you. I'm going to drive you guys. And we're going to all be together. And she goes, oh, John, and hugs him. And the kids hug him. And then you see him actually walk into the door alone, which I think is a really good reveal because there's this swelling music and it just ends when he opens the door. And then he says, hello, hello, is there anyone here? And there's clearly no one in the house. They kind of start to feel actually Betty this way where he's a little bit trapped in the house and alone. They like start zooming out. Um, It's just a brutal ending. Like they're gone and he sits on the stair. He sits on the stairwell and everyone's personal lives are going to shit. Everyone's personal lives are going to shit. And they end on a very good Bob Dylan song. Which Don't think we, twice, it's all right. Which, <laughs> which I know you disagree, but it's a good song for this episode. I just don't love Bob Dylan. Hot take, sorry. But <laughs> the twang, doesn't the twang work at the end of the scene? I'm tr- cajoling you into saying this. I can feel it. I, ooh, if it weren't, <laughs> if it weren't a show about the 60s, I would disagree. But because okay. it's a 60s show, I will give you this bone. Partial credit counts as full credit in my book. Um, <laughs> So just a really good end note of Don, again, final consequence reaped. Your family is growing more distant because of things that you did. And I found this really interesting on this rewatch because it struck me as not this that Don is sad because he's made this choice and his family is drifting away. As I even just said, that Don is actively making the choice in that moment because he's he could drive to oh where God, they're holding right. Thanksgiving. But <laughs> yes. he's shooting to sit and go, I'm alone, which is something we see him do a lot, where he sits outside of where the, his loved ones are, where his girlfriend is, where whoever is, and he thinks, I'm alone. And he keeps doing this. So I think this is the first time he does this, where it's almost infuriating. No, 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 no. Because yeah. he sits and watches the train track for like an exorbitant amount of time. Oh, that's, that's true. That's and misses true. the birthday, you know, that's and the God and Don and trains. He really fucking love these trains. <laughs> um, it's just reeling really, it all in for the last just, bit of the episode. You gotta tie it all together. Oh, man. Um, it's just a really good final note of Don alone. And then it's sort of this, this idea of, well, you're all alone and this is kind of what you wanted, what you created. And I think it's a really good, bitter note to end everything and don baby you're gonna end this way every single season it's gonna happen you're gonna be alone in some way it's just also a really great line because it's like it's like enough closure to end the season but you're like what's gonna happen if you hadn't seen the show before you're like what's gonna happen with peggy and this baby she just gave birth to while she just got this clarisol ad and like are Pete and Trudy going to become parents? And it's like, is Don going to reconcile with Betty? Is Rachel going to come back? Mm-hmm. Is Roger going to come back? It's like, What's there's a lot. going to happen to Harry? Oh no. <laughs> but no, I, your point is totally taken. It leaves things that a lot of, it opens enough doors while making the season rounded out. And I think it's pretty impressive as an episode, um, an episode of television. But I do think it's just one of my favorites and I'm glad that, got to talk with you about it for so oh, long i'm just like we got to buckle up or buckle down rather for everything else that's gonna come yeah season two i think Do you want to yeah remember, give us a little teaser of season two i actually just rewatched this episode because uh with my brother we ended up watching the wheel and he's like well let's watch the next one I was like, <laughs> oh okay so the next episode is for those who think young and we jump forward i think it's over a year so Don is 36 in that episode. So we're going to start to see him feeling a little bit older, a little less confidence. Things are changing. He's no longer the 
image of cool. So really that down spiral is going to start going faster. Oh boy. You so it's buckle up and buckle down. Buckle up and buckle down. Also, there's going to be a lot of ducks. So we're going to have to get used to that. Oh, well, this has been a great journey. And I can say we're both Agreed. very excited for season two. 